Well, I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago we kind of introduced a brand new sermon series called Stand. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul says, hey, put on God's armor and stand. So this is our third week looking at the same eight verses in this Armor of God series. And interestingly enough, um, as, as has happened each one of these previous weeks, uh, the message is kind of timely for me. Uh, today we're looking at the next two pieces of armor, shoes of peace and the shield of faith. And if there was ever a time for the shoes of peace or the shield of faith for me, it's, it's now. You see, I'm trying to practice what I preach, or maybe I'm trying to preach what I'm hopefully practicing. Um, I stand before you today. Uh, a lot of my sermons start off with a funny story about my family, right? Let's be honest. I, there's a lot of stories that are funny in my home. Uh, very often, I'm not the hero. I'm never the hero in our stories. Um uh, and if you watched online and you're a guest saying, oh, I want to hear this guy. He's funny for the first three minutes of his sermon. Uh, I apologize. Today's not one of those sermons. My, uh, my folks were diagnosed with COVID last week. And we just discovered yesterday because we had not heard. Uh, my mother was brought to the hospital and is currently on a, a ventilator with pneumonia. Um, many of you met my mother. She's weak. And uh, my father's probably watching online. He's sick as well. And I'll be honest with you, I have to preach this message, but there's part of me that would rather not be here, and I'd rather be sitting with my father. Um, and, and that's why I feel like, well, thanks, God, for the, the, uh, the ability to practice what I preach, or at least try to preach what I think I'm supposed to practice. Um, so we're going to talk about peace. And faith, as Paul lays it out in Ephesians chapter 6, because the reality is spiritual warfare and, and the things that we do when God says put on God, God's armor, when Paul says put on God's armor and stand is, is um, the armor that we've been given when we become Christians. It's, uh, they all work together. It, it's the different things as when we put our faith in Christ that affect our life and shape how we see our circumstances, how we interpret reality, whether that's trauma or troubles or, or trials, how we live our life. The, the armor of God shapes that. So if you have your Bibles, you could turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And let me just remind you, we have the victory in Christ. And I've said this every single week, but I think it's worth noting that um, Jesus Christ on the cross won the victory and while the enemy may not be able to take us out and have our soul, he does want to steal our joy and our peace. He will go after your family and your influence and your Christian witness. I mentioned earlier that I'm never the hero in my story. And, and, and somehow, some way, because of the armor of God that we're about to look at, I, I feel like, hey, I'm, my mood is here. And you could see that. It's evident. But the Lord has, I mean... I'm sad, I'm somber, but, but the enemy hasn't taken my joy. I, I'm figuratively holding my breath, but the enemy hasn't taken my peace. And I, want, and I say that with humility because I, want, I don't want to prop myself up as some great model of, of faith. Um, I say that because I'm still not the hero. 
See, it's the Lord who's the hero. It's his armor. And all I have to do is put it on and stand. Just as a reminder, Paul gives us uh, this description of God's armor at the end of chapter 6 or of Ephesians. He's, speak, he's writing to a church he knows really well, a church that he's visited a number of times, Acts 18, 19, 20. He saw him going this way. He saw him going this way. And he saw him again going this way. That's a map figure. I don't have a map for you today, but trust me, he spent a lot of time with this church, uh, stayed for three years at one point. And he knows these people. He's not correcting anything that's wrong, but he's saying, here's how you live in light of the cross. Armor of God, how we see our world, how we live in light of the cross, how we interpret the difficulties and the trials and temptation and what's taking place around us. Very likely, Paul was writing this while he was a prisoner in Rome, about 62 AD, chained to a, uh, a Roman soldier. And as he's there writing this letter, thinking about what the cross means for the Christian life and the implications it has for how we live. Uh, He's looking at this Roman soldier and his armor, and he's saying, hey, in a very similar way, here's what God has given us. Just to give you a little bit of, uh, 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 just to backtrack a little bit, to give you a little context uh, in terms of where we've been, we saw in the first few verses, chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, that Paul says, put on the armor of God so we can stand against the strategies of the devil. And we're going to talk about some of those strategies in this message, but I think it's worth saying that the devil doesn't make me do anything. I don't think he has that power, but the devil certainly lies and tempts. Surely God didn't say that. We are ultimately responsible, and... and And the devil is sneaky because you may recall in week one I said he got the first shot in this battle like way early in advance in the Garden of Eden. Like it was a shot to all of us, not just Adam and Eve, not just the humanity living in, you know, born into sin. It's not just original sin. It's like I am predisposed to want my kingdom come and my will be done. I am predisposed because I am selfish and sinful. And even though I, I have Christ, I still have a sin issue. So a battle rages on in my heart and my mind and your heart and your mind, and it's between doubt and faith. It's between submission and rebellion. It's between anxiety and trust. And I don't know if you've heard any of those words, but that's kind of the battle I'm walking in right now. And I'm sure you are in your own way. Verse 14 was last week where we looked at the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And the idea there was, God's armor allows for us to live from our identity rather than for our identity. And identity is a big part of this armor of God, as you're going to see even in today's message. It means we see the world and ourself and God differently, and it shapes how we live. Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. We'll read the whole passage as we have done the previous two weeks. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you may be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. 
For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Same eight verses, but really we're going to focus in on verses 15 and 16, which are the, 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 the pieces of armor that are next in line as we looked, as we go through this list. Verse 15, let me read it to you again. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Now Paul is, is looking at this Roman soldier. He's seeing their shoes. Um, Caliga is the name, is, is, that's probably butchered Latin. <laughs> but I never took Latin in seminary, so you can't blame me for that. Blame me for butchering Greek and Hebrew. But he's looking at this, these boots, which were, were made of leather, probably exposed the toes. Um, you've probably seen these in the movies or maybe in a play or I don't know. But not that movies are historically accurate. But we know what, what shoes look like that the soldiers wear. Very, very often they were heavily studied. Even some scholars say they actually put nails through the shoes and they, they tied these wraps around their ankles and around their shins to make sure that their, their shoes were on secure. This allowed them to have support and solid footing. It allowed them to keep their feet from sliding backward. Remember, put on God's armor and stand. We are standing to the place where God has brought us, what he's done in our life, the victories that I have won, and we are holding that ground and the enemy would like to push it back. These these shoes enable the soldier to resist being moved back. Somewhat related, even though it's not a standing thing, I think it's worth noting that it also allowed Roman soldiers to endure long marches over rough terrain, and I think that's a great picture of life, and perhaps even certain seasons of life, long marches over rough terrain. For the Christian, what does that mean? What, what do these shoes mean? Look what he says, and I read the New Living Translation. It's peace that comes from the good news. Uh, a more, the word's literal, but it, there's no such thing as literal when you translate language. But the more uh, formal equivalent says the readiness given by the peace, or by the gospel of peace. Gospel being good news, same thing, right? That's what the gospel means. The, the word there is hitoi maseia, and I'm butchering that as well, so now you can blame me for sleeping in Greek class, which means readiness, preparation, and firmness. There is a readiness, there is a preparation, and there is a fullness or in, in, in a firmness that comes when our foundation, our shoes, solid footing is based on the peace that comes from the good news of the gospel. We have peace with God. That's the good news of the gospel. That man can have peace with God, but not just peace with God, because when you have peace with God, what do you also have? The peace of God. Jesus says this in John 14. Yeah, I know. I always have a way to sneak John in there. I'm leaving you with a gift. When he's talking to his disciples in the upper room, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and peace I give, the peace I give and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. That we are getting a peace that comes because of our faith in Jesus. That doesn't come from the world and how the world defines peace. 
very oftentimes circumstantial peace, right? Things are going my way, therefore I have peace. I don't know that things are going my way. But there is peace with God, which makes possible for having the peace of God. And we'll talk about where that even goes from there. Peace helps us to stand our ground. It helps us by reminding us that this world is not it. There's hope for eternity, and what we face today is nothing compared to eternity. And I know that's crazy talk, but that's Christian talk. That's what we say, because we have God's word. We have things like Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce in us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at our troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things we cannot, that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone but the things we cannot see will last forever. And then there's James. You guys, she, Helen knows where I'm going when I say James. <laughs> Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfected and complete, needing nothing. Not only does God give us a peace to endure whatever may be taking place so the enemy can't take our joy. God uses it. Here he uses it to shape us. So we have peace with God. We have the peace of God because of the good news of the gospel. But do you know that peace with God is, is, is kind of a necessary step for us? This is a whole other sermon series I'm about to say in one word. But the peace of God paves the way for peace with ourselves. How much of the enemy's attack, in terms of the thoughts and the lies and the things that have shaped our life and how we live out our life and how we interpret the things around us in our world, has come because we don't even have a peace with ourselves. Peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves, which enables us to make peace with others, how many other things in our life in terms of relationship with one another has the enemy taken advantage of because we don't have peace with one another. And the shoes of peace they speak to our identity, which is similar to what we talked about last week, but it also speaks having peace in the midst of fiery arrows. Where are we going with that? That's the next verse. You're going to see that in a moment. I just want to point out, when you look at what we looked at last week, in addition to the shoes of peace, it, it's, it's like God's armor kind of all adds up, not just letting us live out of from our identity, which was last week's message, instead of for our identity, but it reminds us, like last week's message, in summary, who we are, but also whose we are. See, when we remember who we are and whose we are, that every hair on your head is counted, that all the days of your life are in his hand, that the one who is the author of your story, who was there at the beginning and who knows what your destiny will be, knows everything in between. That's when we can sing songs like, 
we sang this morning, I surrender all. I am chosen, not forsaken. And the song I thought we were going to sing because it's in my notes, it is well. See, the armor of God reminds us. I don't, I don't know that, I mean, the armor of God informs us, but for so many of us, it's, our problem is not that we don't know, it's just that we forget who we are and we forget whose we are. And the armor of God reminds us. Verse 16, the shield of faith. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Let's talk about that shield. Paul's particular word that he uses here is, is the same word that it's derived, it's related to the word for door. He's not talking about a little shield like Captain America. He's talking about those big shields. You've seen those, once again, in the movies, which aren't historically accurate, but you've seen them. Those big, giant doors, likely four foot tall, covering almost your whole body. I guess those people were smaller because they didn't have hormones in their food, but I mean like four foot tall, two and a half foot wide, and they would hold this shield that would, that would protect them. You guys know what a shield I'm talking about? These shields were, were wooden shields, but they were covered in leather and lined in metal. And sometimes, sometimes they took that leather-wrapped shield and soaked it in water because in that day, one of the strategies of those who would oppose them would be to actually put pitch on the end of, a, of an arrow and, and light it on fire and shoot it. And that thing's coming down and it would land and depending on what it landed on, it would catch something on fire and it would, it would spread. But the idea is with those shields is to quench, to extinguish. I mean, these shields were designed for that very defense, the fiery arrows. They weren't designed to like, because it's like, you're, how, do you, how do you swing around a four-foot shield on hand-to-hand -hand battle? Paul uses the, the, the term flaming arrows, which is interesting because we've talked a little bit about the, 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 the schemes of the enemy, the strategies of the devil. And here he actually specifically mentions a, a type of attack. And, and there's, there's different, as I was studying for this message, there's different ideas of what does that exactly mean. And I think it's pretty all-encompassing for the things he throws our way. Once again, he doesn't cause us to sin, but he will tempt us through lies and deception he doesn't even cause bad, I don't, I don't want to give the devil credit in saying he causes, you know, bad things to happen as much as we live in a fallen world. But I do think the enemy will take those things and let our mind run with those things. These, these, these arrows for the Christian kind of point to the way the devil does attack us. You think sometimes things are small and in, inconsequential. These little tiny arrows, I mean, the shield, we got that. But that fire that spreads, very similar to when, when an arrow strikes our heart. Now, I'm not speaking, figurative, I'm speaking figuratively here. When that fiery arrow that the enemy sends strikes our heart or emotions, it can set things aflame. Minor issues develop into fierce, flaming situations. My senior pastor that uh, I worked for for a long time, 
One of his sayings is this, that sin will always take you further than you intended to go. A compromise here, thinking it's just isolated, and we find ourselves suddenly way further down the road than we ever agreed upon going. This is where a hurtful word turns into a lifetime of bitterness and resentment. Just a glance becomes life-controlling addiction. Healthy doubt or wonder evolves into unbelief and anger. Where gaining someone's acceptance or approval by just this one thing ends up enslaving us to, to needing that acceptance or approval. Where an innocent flirtation doesn't end with an innocent flirtation, if you get what I mean. There's seventh graders here. So what is this Christian shield that quenches and extinguishes the fire-tipped darts? It's the shield of faith. In conjunction with these other pieces of armor, the belt of truth, God's revealed himself. We see the world and ourselves and uh, others totally different. The sword of the Spirit, which we'll get to next week, which is God's word. The shield of faith allows us to lay hold of God's promises in times of doubt and depression. It allows us to lay hold of God's power or the power of God in, in times of temptation. The shield of faith reminds us of God's presence in those moments where we look around and we don't necessarily recognize that he's present. I believe. I trust. God's armor equips you to remember who you are and whose you are. And when you remember who you are and whose you are, it changes the way you live. The Greek word for faith that's used here is, is pistis. It's translated faith, and faith sounds so like um, religious. But do you know the, 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 you know what faith is, the, the, the same word in Greek? It's translated trust and belief, which seems kind of... A little bit more approachable. Like, I can trust. I can believe. I don't know if I have faith for it, but I can trust. Like, it just seems a little more, t uh, like, I could do that. This is where we say, we put our trust in the Lord. I trust that what he says of me is true. I trust that his promises are true. I trust that he has a plan and purpose. I trust that what I am facing is not too big for him. We are, by nature, people who believe when we see. But this kind of trust is a God-given trust. This faith is, 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 is a gift from God, something that we cannot generate ourselves. So we believe without seeing. And Jesus in John chapter 20 said that you are blessed when you believe without seeing. God's armor equips you to remember who you are and whose you are. <sighs> These aren't my favorite sermons. I wish I had something funny to say. I've got to be honest with you. But deal with it. So what do we do? 
This is very similar to one of the takeaways last week. Feed your faith. Faith needs an, an object. And that object is, is, is the God of creation, the God who knows the beginning and the end, the God who has us in his hands. So feed that. Because you can't exercise faith in a vacuum where it's like, I have faith, but I don't know what I have faith in, and I don't know why I have faith. This is why we read the word. This is why we spend time in prayer. This is why we submit ourselves to teaching. This is why we memorize scripture. Feed your faith so that you have something to trust and believe in. I don't want to preach next week's message on the sword of the spirit, but I said they're all t- they all work together. Feed your faith. Second thing, and this is, this is a faith exercise I want to give to you, and I've done this before. I probably do it once a year. I probably should do it more often because I really think this is a life skill that is incredibly useful. Um, many of you know I have a relationship with a, a pastoral resource center, which is a fancy way of saying counselors uh, for people in ministry. Um, one of the tools they gave me is something that's called Cry to Walk in the Spirit. We are, we are told to walk in the Spirit And yet, as we live this life, and we still have a sin issue, there's a way that we can give leadership to our thoughts. We don't think the way we used to think because of what Christ has done, but sometimes we slide back into those same patterns. And we catch ourselves in the face of being tempted to let those small things flare up and become big things. We can can give leadership to our thoughts. So here, here, here is it. It's cry, K-R-Y, and it stands for know, reckon, and yield. Romans 6.6 6 says this. This is for knowing. For we know, we know, that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This isn't saying when you find yourselves, when we find ourselves with a, a flaming arrow, a temptation, when that hurtful word wants to become resentment, when, when the neighbor's new car makes, wants to become envy. When the glance from that pretty girl in the checkout line, you, you know what I'm saying, seventh graders. <laughs> to say, you know what? Christ died, Romans 6, 6. And when he died, so did I. That's why we baptize people. They go down, and you, you're raised to new life. That's my old life. That's not me anymore. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves, that's not me anymore. When fear wants to strike you and paralyze you and makes you want to bail on preaching this sermon today, I'm dead to that. And then Romans 6:11. So you should also... Consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Christ died and I died. And Christ lives and I live. And my life is hidden in him. I'm reckoning. I'm doing the math. If this is true, then this is true. I'm dead to those things and I'm alive to Christ. And then finally... K-R-Y, no reckon and yield. Romans 6, 13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what's right for the glory of God. 
and Y stands for yield, that we would yield ourselves to the life of Christ in us, yield ourselves to righteousness. I'm dead to those things. I'm dead to bitterness, jealousy, and envy, and fear. I'm alive in Christ. I'm not denying the reality, but I'm not going to let that thing drive me. We yield our body and say, Lord, since my life is in you, I'm going to yield to you. The final thing I would say, uh, don't fight alone. I mentioned this last week that being in church, being in community, I, I just came back from a minister's uh, gathering and um, it's become so convenient. And I said this from, the, from day one of streaming. We don't want the stream to be convenient. We want it to be a compromise and it, it was compromised. We couldn't meet. Um, we have a great number of people who've come back. And while it is easy I enjoyed sitting on my recliner watching me preach. I gotta be honest with you. Don't be a stranger from the community. God didn't design this to be Netflix for him. He designed this for us to be together, that there would be relationship with accountability, there'd be encouragement. I think of the, the, the shield of faith. Uh, the Romans had something called a testudo also known as the tortoise. They would take their shields and they would line up and there'd be a wall, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield on the front line. And the back lines would hold it up in the air and they would advance into the enemy's territory like a little tortoise. I wonder if that's not a picture the community that bands together to bear one another's burdens. If you're not a Christian today, I um, if you're not a Christian today, everything I've just said doesn't apply to you. The one thing I'd want you to know is it can. Jesus Christ, the one who was there at creation, the the Son of God, the one who steps out of heaven and takes on flesh and walks amongst his creation, lives a life that we could not live and died a death that our sins deserved. He died in our place, in our behalf. And it's a free gift. Salvation costs nothing. Discipleship costs you something. To follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. But salvation, he's saying, would you call out, believe, on him if after service if if you would say hey Jerome I, I want to pray with someone about that I would be happy to do so and I think it's great if that's if, if that's you you ought to tell and share but quite honestly all it really requires is in your heart of hearts to cross that line of faith and say I'm in I'm going to close on uh couple things the band's going to come up at this point I believe right they are now because I just said it I honestly don't remember the order of things here because my mind's kind of uh, distracted 
You know that song we sang as little kids? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. I've got the peace that passes understanding. It comes from Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7. And depending on your translation, it says surpasses. So I, Heather and I got into a debate on the airplane uh, last week. I said, sure to be, I've got the peace that surpasses understanding. But she says it, it doesn't flow rhythmically. I've got the peace that surpasses understand. Yeah, you know. Let me read what Paul says that we get this song from. By the way, if I've ever prayed with you, you know I've probably prayed. May we have that peace that surpasses understanding. A peace the world does not give. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You see, I think if we could remember who we are and whose we are, and the things that come our way, perhaps we find ourselves like Joseph did. Joseph in the book of Genesis. Sold into slavery, forgotten about, imprisoned, falsely accused and imprisoned. He rises to the ranks of second in charge in all of Egypt. There's a famine and his brothers come. And he finally confronts them. It's a long story about cups and, and back and forth. But I'm, this is the conclusion of a sermon, not another sermon. <laughs> and he says, what God, what, 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 what the enemy meant for harm, God used for good. May we know who we are and whose we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. What a, what a privilege we have to meet together. We are those of us who put our trust in you, dressed in the armor of God. It changes the way we live how we see and understand, how we respond. And the enemy would like to, to turn our hearts, to turn our minds. May we, Lord, hold fast and stand strong. Lord, I pray that, um, that you would help us. dress us in armor, may we, and we, may we put it on. I know that sounds like they're contradictory, but that's what Paul says. May we walk as you intended. In Jesus' name.